Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design. How to design a beautiful home and life and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm an interior designer and feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me a floor plan reading expert. Energy design is like astrology for your home and your life. And who doesn't want more of that? I believe in all things pretty. In fact, my team and I love the pretty. But what makes my firm different is that we can help you create designs that are also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Amanda Gates and today I have on Sherry Hoopner. As said on her website, her intention is to imbue meaning and unveil ancient perspectives to a modern world searching for significance. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty much like exactly what we need for 2020. Sherry and I fall into a very deep conversation today about our current world of affairs, social media, and how now more than ever, it's the light workers that are being called up to smooth the chaos. (laughs) It's time to get to work, y'all like nobody's business. Uh, Some quick housekeeping, Mastering Feng Shui, my in-depth online course. I have extended enrollment until the end of this weekend. So it's a course that teaches you how to read floor plans like me and teaches you real Feng Shui. And so I went ahead and I extended the enrollment until Sunday. So if you want to learn real Feng Shui, head on over to my website at interiorvibes.com and the button to sign up is at the top of the homepage. I've also put together a fantastic feng shui real estate class, and I did gear it towards real estate agents because so many of the agents in my own office are absolutely clueless about feng shui. And I really wanted to have a tool that I could give to them and offer them so that they could learn more, so that they could have a better understanding of what real feng shui is. A lot of them have heard about it and they have like conjured up these crazy ass ideas in their heads about what they think feng shui is. And uh, I would say that a lot of it is quite kitschy. So I really wanted to put this course together to really help not only real estate agents, I should mention that, uh, if you're a consumer, this class will also give you a lot of valuable information on what to look for and what to avoid. So whether you're buying or selling a home, this class can help you. So all you gotta do is head on over to my homepage, interiorvibes.com, and it too, the link is at the top of the homepage, uh, just below mastering the Mastering Feng Shui uh, button that's on there. So if you're interested in either of those, go there to learn more. Alrighty, today's show is really, really important to me because we're really starting to heat up in 2020 and it's one of the reasons why I had Rachel Lang and Tisha Morris on back in December. I can't tell you how many astrologers I have as friends that have literally been talking about 2020 for well over a decade. I first started hearing about this in 2009 and It's one thing to hear about something and you think you're prepared, but then as you start to experience it, you're like, oh shit, I'm not prepared. (laughs) It's like knowing that a car accident is about to occur and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's kind of how I feel this year is. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Sherry on. 
she is an alchemist, but she has all of these amazing talents, which you're going to learn about today. But you'll also hear at the top of the show, Sherry mentions that she was shocked that I asked her to be on the show and she has no idea how I found her because she's not on social media. And I want to mention this because this is really important about the Home Energy Design podcast. My team and I dig and dig for the guests that we have on because I don't want to have the glossy, well-known celebrity healers on this show. I don't give two shits if you've got Instagram fame or you've got 40,000 followers on Twitter or Facebook. I don't care. I want real people, real healers who are getting shit done and getting busy doing the work that's necessary to not only heal consciousness, but heal our planet. So that's why I wanted to have Sherry on. And yes, she is hard to find, but as you'll hear us talk on the show today, social media is just a pure distraction. And if you are all over social media and you do have tons of followers, that tells me that your ego is in it for the wrong reasons. And I wanted to share this amazing quote that is from Jim Carrey of all people, but I think it really sums up what 2020 is all about. We believe that we are defined by what we achieve, what we own, or what we win. And that status online equals proof that you are quote unquote successful. But success in this manner is only achieved by a dog-eat-dog kind of world. Here's the real truth. It's only through community that we can truly reach self-awareness, rise above the suffering, and meet our higher self that's limitless. Holy cow, y'all. Amen to that. That is what 2020 is all about. It's this stripping away of the ego, forcing you to bottom out, slow down and truly see the truth, the real truth. And what is that about? It's about simplicity, community, real connection, real connection, like face-to-face, not this bullshit where you're connected online and you've got 3,000 friends or, you know, that you think you have 3,000 friends. We're talking real connection here. This isn't about things or status, devices, materialistic things that you've accumulated, degrees that you've accumulated. What this year is about is a stripping away of all of the nonsense that you've been led to believe and conditioned to believe is what defines you as a human being. It's not. This is the year about true connection and kindness towards one another. So today, Sherry and I are going to dive into the importance of energy work, living a spiritual life, alchemy, apothecary, eliminating ego, and so much more. Are you ready? Hell yeah. Let's do this. Hey, Sherry. Welcome to the show. Hey there, Amanda. Thanks for having me. So I'm super excited, guys. We've got Sherry Hepfer on the show today, and she was actually just telling me that she's not super consistent on her social media, and she didn't know how we found her, and I honestly can't tell you either because we always go down rabbit holes, and I don't like to find like the super well-known 
super famous, social media famous, especially people. I like to find like the salt of the earth people who are really like pounding the pavement and really getting shit done. So congratulations, Sherry. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I think that that's um, a true testament to, you know, I I always like to have people on the show that are are really making waves and, and getting shit done. But I'm curious, you know, when you're younger, what did you really want to be when you grew up? Did you know, did you plan on being like an herbalist and a nutritionist or, or what? Tell us how you, how you got there. Yeah, I'll give you, well, I'll say one thing real quick too, which is the arrival of the email um, that invited me on with you today was quite synchronistic because I was having this moment this summer where I've been teaching in the herbal medicine world for nearly 15 years and have been a designer of many different things, everything from jewelry to spaces to clothing. And this summer I was pausing and saying, I need to bring more of the design element into my life and into my livelihood. And then not a month later, I get your email. So it's, it felt very confirming, like an answer from the universe saying like, yes, this is the path you need to start to move towards. And so to answer your question, I have been designing things uh, since I was four years old. I can actually remember a very specific memory where my first drawing experiences, I would design clothes and cut up the doll clothes that I had access to. And I would spend hours in my dollhouse rearranging the furniture. So this was something that started very early on in my life. And that's probably the main consistent thing that I've stayed connected to, um, not so much in the realm of my livelihood, but just my well-being and my mental health is art and um, moving things around to meet my mood. And then it was probably in my early 20s that I started to really connect to plant medicine and started to see the, the connection between working with the plants that we have around us as uh, the, the medicine that we have access to. So I sort of look at spaces, places, what's available in nature, what's, what we adorn ourselves with, what we fill our spaces with, all as sort of an extension of medicine. And I love that because my audience knows that like, I have a love affair with nature. I have a love affair with uh, nature spirits. And I always talk about how, you know, we need to be outdoors more and spending more time connecting with mother earth. And I think that that's one of the, the key benefits. I'm surprised I'm not an herbalist, like how, you know, my love affair that I have with plants so much, I'm always the weirdo on the hike that like, I can't possibly get the hike done because I'm too busy talking to the plants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I love them so much and the trees and everything. Um, but I love that, you know, I think one of the things that I'm really hearing is that, um, you know, you've really embraced your creativity and, and it shows up however it is. I mean, whether you're actually making something or whether that's an art and whether it's an herbalism, it's all creativity, it's all flow, which mm-hmm. you've really been um, a conduit for, which I think is really great because, you know, a lot of people, they have that in their earlier years. And then it's like that analytical left brain steps in and says, no, 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 you need to be, you know, like a lawyer or a doctor or something that is considered productive and, um, you know, is going to make you money and and is going to support your livelihood. And we lose that creativity. 
So I think it's great that you did find herbalism because it was really in that flow. You were really tapping into your intuitive side. And it's probably something that you've done before, you know, this life. It's probably something that you connect well to. Um, I think one of the things that's really cool too is that um, you really honor the seasons, which I think, you know, that's something that we've lost really poorly. You know, we're not connected to our seasons at all anymore, especially when you go to the grocery store and you can get anything and everything year round. Um, but before we dive into that, just in case somebody's new to the show and has never heard of the, I, I would assume because I talk about it a lot here on the show, but I always like to think of the, the new person coming in and, and maybe is new to the party. Explain to us what exactly an herbalist is and how doing herbalism and, and working with plants is different than our allopathic system, like the, the westernized medicine. How is it, what is it and how is it different? <laughs> That's a good question. It's uh, interestingly, in the last couple of years, I have been re reworking the language around my connection with plants because when you hear herbalism these days, it means many things. And it can mean an elder that's been working with the medicine around them for years in ancient and traditional ways. It can mean somebody who took a weekend intensive in herbalism and they started making tinctures and now they're selling them on Instagram. So there's a very wide range of what an herbalist is these days. For me, in my personal connection with, with herbalism um, in the work that I've done, it began for me when I was about nine years old and I was playing in the woods behind my father's house and I leaned up against a tree and it was as if it whispered to me, bite me. And I thought, of course, at nine years old, I didn't question that. And so I sunk my teeth into the bark of this tree and the aroma of spearmint was released because it was a, a black birch, which of course I came to find out years later. And I followed that communication. And so that communication went from me studying botany and environmental science and biology to finding herbalism. And I found that herbalism was where I landed for quite some time uh, in my studies and my teachings and my work um, because it allowed for all of the elements to be present. Herbalism is honoring that the earth provides us the medicine with with what we need um, to experience wellness and the entire matrix of that plant is necessary. So when your question and asking what's the difference between allopathic medicine and herbalism, allopathic medicine has extracted one constituent that they deem as valuable. And with herbalism, it honors the entire plant, the spirit of that plant, um, the soil around that plant. And of course, the seasons that contribute to the life of that plant. Hmm. And what a concept to honor the whole <laughs> process. <laughs> and I love that you brought up, I, I love, I love that you brought up this idea that, you know, there's so many different levels because it's the same in feng shui. You know, it's like 
I've been working under a grandmaster for many years. I've been doing feng shui for close to 25 years now. And it's like, and I still study, I still educate myself. I'm still working with a teacher because there's so many layers upon layers upon layers. And, and I've been told numerous times by my teacher that this is a multi-lifetime education. Like mm -hmm. you don't just take a weekend course and like you hang your shingle out and it's like, I'm a practitioner. Yes. So, you know, I've heard people take, you know, like a weekend course in herbalism. And then it's like, I'm an herbalist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you haven't well, the, even gotten started. <laughs> and the nice thing about being able to explore different, different titles, different traditions, uh, different, different ways of making a living these days. I think that's what social media and sort of, you know, being able to stay at home and make a living. There's an incredible, there's incredible gift and access within that. And of course, there's the pros and cons of technology and the way that it has connected us and also continues to disconnect us. So I do see, I try to see the positive and the negative. Unfortunately, I get stuck a lot in the negative, but <laughs> in, in it's evolving because like we were chatting before um, you start, started recording, it's just recognizing that it's challenging to be in a world now when we're doing the work that we're doing uh, and our resume on social media may not look uh, like it does on paper or like it does when we show up and we create connections in person with people and you can actually see um, the things that we've built or the things we've created, uh, the medicine we've made and to say. So just to recognize that we live in a challenging time. Uh, and I really think that the only way, at least for me and my experience over the years of being self-employed for over 10 years now, it's I just have to show up. And once I make a connection with somebody, the story starts to unfold and the container is created and that's when an opportunity arises. And I think that that's what is missing in, in these social media connections because there's not an in-person interaction. Uh, and I think it changes the way we're experiencing people. And I do think it's also changing the way we're experiencing our connection to nature. Mm, without a doubt. You know, I think that not enough people get outside and, and really touch nature in an intimate way and really um, get into that energy. And I think that one of the downfalls of the social media fame and, and everything that social media has created is, is yes, it gets our information out there and it helps us in a lot of ways. But for me, I've got to take sabbaticals numerous times a year just because I sell energy for a living. Like it's what I do. And in order for me to be a powerful conduit, to be able to do what I do and intuitively be able to, to do a feng shui consultation um, and provide the necessary information that I need to for that client to help them transform their life, I can't be on technology all the time. The only way mm -hmm. that I am my most powerful, most intuitive self is when my ass is out in nature. <laughs> I got to mm -hmm. get, get I got to get outside. I got to get weird as I call it all the time. I got to be, I love, I love that you're biting trees. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been some time since I've been in a tree, but it uh it's yeah, it's a great memory in, in my in my relationship to plants as it took me a long time to be like, oh, that was the beginning. That was really the moment where I realized that there was a special communication 
between us. And that I kept that to myself for a long time. And eventually I started teaching because the plants were also guiding me to say, hey, you, this is information that ought to be shared. And if it benefits one other person, it was worth the effort and worth the stress and the fear that I needed to address in order to to get up there, whether it is in a, in a performance setting or in a classroom or even to arrive on a podcast. You know, there's a, there's a, per, a sort of, a, yeah, being on the stage and being seen and being heard, which is, is a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, but I think that one of the beauties of nature is that when you do get outside and you really connect with her and, um, you know, I, I, I'm, really curious like if I go for a hike and I start biting trees like I, I kind of have some you know wickedness in me thinking like all the people that are going to be staring at me going what the f is she doing like I, I kind of get a kick out of you know weirding people out but um you know just the idea of putting your feet in the in the grass and on the ground and hugging trees and I'm constantly touching trees when I'm outside it's like I don't even really get a chance to hike because I'm too busy taking it all in. I'm, I'm in really in awe as I walk, I'm looking up into the trees. I'm looking out into the woods. I'm looking down. I'm, you know, I'm enamored by butterflies. Like I'm, I'm like a dog and a squirrel. Like I'm just like, Ooh, Oh, ah, you know, like a, a kid. And I think that a lot of people have lost that connection, but I think it's awesome that um, you were really able to, my teachers always taught that trees are shamans. They're the original shamans and, you know, they are rooted in the, the earth and they, uh, go all the way up to, uh, and touch heaven. And so they are our connection between heaven and earth. And so I think it's so awesome that you leaned on a tree, honored your intuition and did what it told you to. And we lose that as we get older. So I encourage everybody to get outside and, I don't know, lick a tree, not a tree, like get out there and get weird. Like, you know, really connect yourself with nature and see what happens because they are the original shamans and they are full of wisdom. I mean, think about how long trees have been here. A lot mm -hmm. of them have been here 300 years here in Tennessee. We have tons of trees that have been here, you know, 200, 300, 400 years. So yeah. far more wisdom than we have for sure. We're a bunch of boneheads. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I see such a strong connection, an inseparable connection between feng shui and, and nature and the way that when we're in the natural world, connecting to the earth, connecting to the plants and the trees and the luminaries and the stars and the seasons changing, we learn how to connect to water and earth and fire and air and all of these things that are considered in in sort of how we bring that energy how we bring those elements into spaces into the home um, into the places that we that tend to keep us warm and keep us um, in the feeling safe feeling comfortable feeling excited if we want to create more inspiration in a space or more con more comfort and more ease. And I've not studied feng shui personally, but I've always had this, I've been teased about it my whole life. I have this perspective um, that everything has its right place. And I, when I say that I spell right, R-I-T-E, as in the rite of passage, recognizing that there's an energy that I have always felt in walking into a room and without 
without consideration, without control, really, I instantly assess where I would put the furniture in the room differently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I can imagine this is something that you probably experience as well, where there's just this, oh, this room would feel different in this color, or uh, if there were more lighting through these shades, and just thinking about the different aspects of what creates space and how we experience it. I spend a lot of my time and spend a lot of my life doing. I've moved a lot. And so just the the ability to create spaces that I wanted to exist in has extended out into others inviting me to create similar spaces for them. So just recognizing that I, I do believe that a lot of the roots of how we associate with our internal spaces can be and has always been, at least historically, to how we connect to outdoor spaces. You know, we never walk into the forest and saying, we really should move that tree over three inches. It's really all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, nature has always done it right, in my opinion. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you can't, I talk about it on the show all the time. You know, the number one thing that you have to do is cultivate your chi daily. And you cannot have good feng shui you cannot have a good environment without nature because you need her chi. And mm-hmm. so if her chi is strong and healthy, guess what? You're going to be strong and healthy. So mm-hmm. you can feel it. Like when you drive down a, a dilapidated, like you go in the wrong side of the tracks, bad part of town, you can feel the depletion of chi. There is none. And it's because the land hasn't been cared for and it's because it's not being focused on. And then you go into an area that is very well cared for. Typically, people are wealthier in those areas because the chi is strong. They're benefiting from it. So that's why environmentalism is so important. And so many people, you know, oh, that's somebody else's problem. That's not something that, you know, somebody else will figure that out. And it's like the land is literally what is giving us and allowing us to thrive, you know, every day. And a lot of people ignore it but you don't have good feng shui if you don't have good nature. They're one and the same. Mm-hmm. So it's a shame that, that more people don't, you know, care for the planet and, and really try to, to find ways to, you know, create life cycles for the products. And they've gotten such disposable mindsets about things. And it's like, we're killing the planet. You're killing your own chi. And it, it's like, we're, you know, we need to disrupt this. So... I think that that's why, you know, what you do is such a beautiful thing because you're bringing us back to nature and showing us why it matters. And allopathic medicine, I think, has its place. It's great for trauma. It's great for, um, you know, things that herbalism, you know, if you get in a car accident, mm, a tincture is probably not going to do it. But for everyday health, for everyday medicine, you know, people need to get off the prescriptions and they need to get back to everyday health going to yoga, mm-hmm. doing meditation, getting rid of the stress and doing, um, you know, really getting back to basics. That to me is a healthy lifestyle. And then, you know, if you get in a car accident or something, then you can do allopathic medicine. Then it comes in handy. <laughs> yeah. One way that I see that gives me hope um, that I see that's become really common, uh, especially on Instagram, is that houseplants have become an element of design, which I am absolutely in love with because of that bringing nature indoors and forming relationships with plants and being and sharing breath and 
basically having to tend to nature, even though it's, it's potted and kind of excluded from nature in a sense, I feel like there's this wave of returning to that connection. And whether it's conscious or not, it's happening and it's beautiful. So I think with what you were just saying, I see that as, as another way of bringing, bringing that life connection and especially increasing chi, just being able to be around other living and breathing plant life uh, can totally change the energy in a space. And I think that's why people are doing it. They don't realize, like you said, you know, I, I think a lot of people are doing it subconsciously because they're not getting outside and they're craving it. They're craving that connection to nature. They're craving how nature makes them feel. They're craving that mm -hmm. lack of chi. And so, you know, they're running to the nursery and they're, they're bringing all these plants and basically bringing nature indoors because they're trying to, to recapture. It's probably something that's intrinsic within all of us that we, we know that we need it. And we've gotten to be so frenetic that we don't feel right and we can't quite put our finger on it, but man, we get, you know, near plants and we suddenly feel better. So, you know, I think yeah. people are like starting to, I mean, I've seen some pictures on Pinterest where people are like turning their homes into forests, which I think is so oh, rad. It's <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. I'm, I'm trying to do that. I lived nomadically for so many years uh, in a short yellow school bus that I couldn't keep plants alive even succulents wouldn't survive because i was traveling so much and shifting wow. climates and elevations and finally living in a house for the last year i have i'm surrounded by plants and for the longest time i was a sort of shy or even ashamed to admit that i was not i did not have a natural green thumb even though i had a deep connection to nature that i just it i could never keep a plant alive and i have been just so connected to the plants that I'm surrounded with. I talk to them every day. I'm like, I'm going to do everything you need. I give them flower essences. I do whatever <gasps> I they love need. You. To <laughs> I love you. I just, I, I always encourage my students and everybody on this show. In fact, I just did a little mini sewed a, a woman who's been listening to the show. She's like, I've heard you say that like, I need to pay attention to the nature spirits. And I've been like kind of tuning it out, not really paying attention until she said she had an incident. <laughs> <laughs> and I get, we get emails all the time from people saying, I'm talking to my trees outside and I'm naming my trees and I'm naming my plants. Oh. And we're talking to our plants and I just love it because they do so much better when you, I actually did a great experiment with two different people. I put it up on my Instagram. I had one woman in California and another woman, I think she was in New York, like upstate New York, and they both bought a bamboo plant. And I uh, had them both do an experiment where they spoke to their plants every day for six weeks. And I also encouraged them to name their plants and put it on a sticker and put it on the front of the plant. And one of them spoke to their plant every day and the other one did not. She was just supposed to ignore it. The one that was spoken to, she was in California. She spoke to her plant every day and it was three times taller and fuller and greener than the one that got no love at all. It's on my oh, yeah. Instagram page. I took a photo of it. I was like, see, this is why everybody needs to be talking to their plants. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's very real. <laughs> I agree. So I want to share... Uh, this, I found this uh, on your website and I loved this. And this is a great segue into my next question, but I uh, loved this quote. This is by Sherry and this is on her 
website, it says, my essential focus is on how we might come back into our bodies. I love that. (laughs) Through softening the places that have become callous while strengthening the spaces that have lost their ability to contain all that we are. Double wow. Through art, language, movement, and the endless medicine of nature, we can find our way home. Hallelujah. The angels are singing. Amen. (laughs) I mean, that is church right there. Oh. (laughs) I mean, through art, language, movement, and the endless medicine of nature, we can find our way home. I mean, that just spoke to me so much. And I, you know, I think that we have gotten so out of balance and so out of whack in our way of thinking and, and our, you know, I wouldn't say that anybody who listens to this show, but like, you know, the way people are consuming food and the types of foods they're eating and their lifestyles that they're having. In fact, I was just talking to a good friend of mine the other day and she was saying that her girlfriend, uh, they're attorneys and they're like working 17, 18 hour days. And her girlfriend used to stop for lunch and eat a salad but she realized that the salad was taking away a hand. So she started getting burritos for lunch because she could hold the burrito in one hand and still type with the other and get more work done. And I thought, (laughs) Oh my God, this is what's wrong with this world. Like we are so out of balance and movement. I think that's so important too. Like, you know, whether you get outside and go for a walk or if you do yoga, I, I, I don't really believe in the hardcore going to the gym, kicking ass, taking names, lifting weights. Like that to me, that's not flow. You're mm. pushing. That's still very patriarchal and in, in thinking. I think it's, it's about flow and how you can get to that movement and art. Oh my God, you're speaking my language. I love art. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I mean, that really speaks truth to me about why we want to go holistic and why we want to find alternatives to what we've been conditioned to think that health really is. And so in your opinion, uh, you've been doing this for a very long time. What are some of the pros or benefits of going all natural with your medicine and doing herbalism and maybe what are some of the cons, you know, you, you've got enough experience now. What are, what are some of the benefits for the listeners um, thinking like, Oh, I'm not really sure. Like, you know, what have you seen? I would say that even before reaching for a tincture or a tea uh, or any of the sort of the forms that herbal medicine traditionally comes in, is that it all begins with the state of the nervous system and food. And so a lot of my, the the roots of my herbalism practice were largely embedded in the roots of vitalism, which is the understanding that the body knows how to mend itself. It's incredibly intelligent. And that we, as conscious beings who can kind of move and make choice, can enhance that or assist that process um, of course, we've strayed a long way since since then. So there are a lot of things that we find that we're consuming, that we're surrounding ourselves with chemicals and all kinds of other things we don't necessarily need to go into, but that that is a little bit more of a challenged experience. 
So vitalism believed in utilizing water and hydrotherapy and working with the different temperatures of water to actually create movement and sensation in the body and sleep and what we put in our body. And everyone's heard this, that the, what we eat, you know, we are what we eat. And the food that we put in, if our body doesn't recognize it as food and as fuel, we're using a lot of our energy to get rid of that, which our body doesn't recognize as sustenance. And I think that's the biggest issue. So when I was working, I worked at a, a sliding scale herbalism clinic in Boulder, Colorado for about five years. And that was our main focus was to get people eating the healthiest food that they had access to sleeping. You know, the average American sleeps about 5.5 hours a night. And ideally, you know, people need about eight, even if they say they don't, they'll live a longer, healthier life if they do get more sleep. And I'm a big believer in that. So for me, that process, I basically was led to herbalism because I was really unwell. I had I was covered with eczema from head to toe. I struggled with depression and mood disorders. I had all kinds of urinary issues and I found herbalism and nutrition because it felt like it was what I had to do and it was what I needed. And bef again, before I even began to study herbal medicine, I started to change what I was eating. And in that process, I've been eating the same for going on 16 years now and all of my symptoms within the first year subsided and there were herbs there to help uh, with, to regulate my nervous system or when things would arise symptomatically but another way that I, uh, I work as an herbalist is for me people say well you're an herbalist aren't, don't you take herbs every day I'm like no I actually don't I, I take them when they either fall off the shelf and tell me I need them or something's coming up and I need a little bit of that assistance. I need something. So if I, my nervous system is out of whack because I haven't slept for two days or you know, I, I have a really stressful experience or a really intensely emotional experience, I have my herbal allies to work with, um, but they're not something that I consume daily. So that's just my personal my personal experience with them. And often I need my dear friends to remind me. I'm like, wait a minute, you have all the things you need. What are you asking me for? <laughs> so basically what you're saying is Burger King is out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it really shocks me. Um, you know, I think that uh, when I see, I, I will some, I, I try not to do this, but I will sometimes find myself judging people when I go to the grocery store and I look at my cart and it's full of fresh vegetables and veggies and, and, uh, or, uh, fruits and, you know, natural things, nuts, you know, I've been a vegetarian for many, many years and it, you know, I've gotten to the point to where I eat fresh so much that if I do like say meet up with some girlfriends and we go to a chain restaurant or something, I almost can't eat the food because it tastes so bad to me. Even their produce, it just, doesn't have any flavor. You can tell that the food's been frozen and it's just nasty to me. But I think what is so telling to me is that when you look at like the Gerson method and, and I've heard a lot of other um, functional medicine doctors talk about the benefits of just changing your diet. If you cannot do anything else, the health benefits of that alone, because you're consuming 
basically the the photons and and the sunlight and the uh, minerals from the earth and things like that that you're not able to get when you're eating Doritos and you know all of the shit that's in the middle of the <laughs> the grocery store. Yeah. But how you know I can't tell you how many times I've heard from somebody you know they've gotten rid of joint pain or brain fog or eczema or kidney issues or bladder issues or you know the list goes on and on and on just by changing the diet. And, you know, like with Gerson, you hear these stories of how people had cancer and just by changing their diet and getting rid of inflammation that they've mm -hmm. completely turned their diagnosis around. Exactly. Seems crazy to me that not everybody would be on this bandwagon, but you know, they have no willpower and they're like, but I love Cheetos. <laughs> well, I think sadly, it has a lot to do with, with access and the, the internet is flooded with so much different information. I feel like nutrition is the most second sort of complex issue, second to politics. I mean, when it comes to people's opinions about how, what they feel is the best, I mean, I'll say that everyone is unique in what they particularly need, what they particularly can recognize as food, what they can digest. Everybody is unique. You know, there's some people who can live a really healthy life and thrive as a vegetarian. And some of us have certain temperaments that just we, we can't survive as a vegetarian as where there, I feel like I see some people who eat not a single green thing and seem to have no digestive issues, but it's showing up in other ways. So I think for a big issue is getting, getting the information to people and recognizing that we have such strong emotional ties to the food that we consume mm. and that there are a lot of attachments. There are a lot of emotions around eating and recognizing. I learned a lot about that when I was working in the clinic. And one thing that I recognized was that if you're going to eliminate something, so say you want to explore giving up gluten or dairy or processed food or you know anything that you're going to choose to focus on to eliminate, you want to replace it with something because often the nervous system goes into panic especially if we're working with things like sugar uh, and other things that we have an emotional attachment to, where we're feeling down or we've had a stressful day and we want to reach for that thing that creates comfort in the body, uh, recognizing that when there's, especially when there's an emotional connection to food, that it needs something else to enjoy and to hold on to, even if that transition's a little difficult at times, because Nowadays, there are, there are great cheese supplements or things that you can get instead of you know, non-dairy cheese that you can buy these days that blows my mind because I haven't eaten real cheese in over 15 years. And there wasn't stuff like that before. So I used mm. to make the joke that, sorry, if I have to take your cheese away, there's nothing I'm going to give you that's going to be anything close. But that's changing. There's a really beautiful wave of recognition that you know, things like gluten and dairy um, and nuts for a lot of people and pro-inflammatory foods like the nightshade family. These are, these are becoming much more popularized and there's such a great access to, um, to, other, to other forms of fuel. Yeah, I agree. You know, I've noticed that just as a vegetarian, when I got into it, I've, I've been a vegetarian for 11 years. And when I first got into it, I was like, well, shit, I don't know what I'm supposed to eat. Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I just didn't feel like there was a lot of substitutes and a lot of options. And you're right. It has really, um, it doesn't matter what diet you're eating, meat, you know, or not pale, uh, the paleo, keto, whatever it is, there's so many options now. And I think that it's 
um, fantastic that it is getting so much attention because it's showing people that you can be healthy and you don't feel like you're sacrificing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So if someone is brand new to this idea or, you know, maybe has been dipping their toe into it, um, you know, having been in the business now for quite some time, I'm sure you've seen all kinds of um, people's, you know, giving you a pushback. I can't do this and it's too hard and, you know, or it's overwhelming. I hear that a lot. Like, oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming. How yeah. do you suggest, you know, I, it's one of the reasons I wrote my book, Easy Everyday Habits to be Eco-Friendly. Like my, the number one thing that I kept hearing again and again is it's so hard. It's somebody else's problem. I don't know what to do. And it's like, you know, it's like the method of the Kaizen method, like just do something like small little things do add up. So if someone's hearing you uh, talk about herbalism and, and really, you know, getting their nutrition straight and, and really wanting to dip their toe into this kind of lifestyle, where do you typically suggest that they get started or, or where's a great place to where they can be successful in testing it and then build upon that? Yeah. So the, the first thing I like to do with, with working people, and again, if you've explored different types of different lifestyles, different eating styles, um, some people call them diets. I try to not call them diets. Um, I call them lifestyle changes. Good plan. I feel (laughs) that a great place to start is to encourage people to take back their power of choice because we live in, uh, you know, we'll say the large part of our culture has looked to allopathic medicine for the answers for so long and relied on, you know, the, the influence and the recommendation of, of doctors and nurses. And I feel that it's time for us to take back uh, that power, recognize that your body is going to inform you when it is not feeling well. And if all, most of us, what we just really need to do is turn in and listen to that. So the first thing I usually do is get people to start what I call a diet diary. So you basically just take note what you eat when you eat it and how you feel afterwards, how you feel an hour afterwards, and just to start to tune in to, does this meal feel good? Does this meal feel really heavy? Did you notice a bunch of digestive upset? Did it disturb your sleep? So really just starting to take ownership of, I'm choosing to put this in my body and this is the experience that I'm having. And that's going to inform somebody to really pinpoint their focus in, oh, well, maybe that snack that I had, it didn't result so well. So maybe maybe I can explore switching that out for something else. And I feel like that's usually the first stage. And then when that person comes back and says, I noticed that when I ate cheese pizza, I felt terrible for the rest of the night. You know, the first question I usually ask is what is your favorite food? That's usually the place to start, but that's not the nice place to start. So it's good to know that and then start with something that feels more accessible, that doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. I mean, one of the mottos that I, that I've had for years is, you know, if you, if you, if someone comes in and, and their whole diet's a mess and they want to quit smoking, the best thing to do is make them a healthy smoker and support them nutritionally before you take that, that, that addiction away. 
and recognizing that it's going to find another expression. If you do take the one thing that's choosing, there'll be another thing to replace it. So how can we consciously replace it with something that's healthier and more supportive to the body? So, yeah. And then I once think that's you a great about, plan. I, I really yeah. do. I think that because it's a little bit softer and it's not so scary. Yeah, exactly. And that, that can really scare people away. I remember working in the clinic and some of the students, somebody would walk in and have all of, you know, lists of symptoms and, you know, a student clinician says right back to them, well, you're going to have to give up gluten, dairy, corn, rice, and chocolate, probably sugar, and you have to be a vegetarian. You know, it's like you just don't give people the list. You just start with one thing at a time because it can be really overwhelming, especially if there is a lot of emotion wrapped around our food choices. And especially if there is um, addiction to to particular foods, um, especially sugar. Sugar is one of the, the big ones. So recognizing that there is emotional ways to support people also when they're starting to explore different ways of eating and that when we remove one food, for example, there's usually, I mean, when we remove sugar or we remove gluten, um, there's often a, a period of sort of what you would call a detox where the body starts to express differently and some people can actually feel worse for a little while before they start feeling better, which can really create a lot of confusion. Yeah, without a doubt. And I know my listeners hate, well, maybe you guys don't hate it, but I say it a lot, but I think it's beneficial because I'm hoping it, you know, drills down into their heads. But I I think that um, one of the benefits to taking the time to cultivate your chi every day, you know, however that looks for you, but basically self-care so that you're calibrating your system every day so that you're content and you're happy. Most of us are not happy. You know, we're striving, we're struggling, we're reaching, we're frenetic, we're, you know, if I get this and if I get that point, if I make that much money, it's like, if this, then that. It's like this constant striving. And so we have very frenetic chi and our chi is out of balance. And so I find that, you know, most of us will find an addiction and a lot of times that's food. It is very emotional. You mentioned that a a couple minutes ago about how we have a very strong emotional connection to our food. And the thing is, is that if you are out of balance and you're not taking care of yourself, good Lord, if you're literally opting out of a salad to eat a burrito so that you can work through your lunch break because you know, you can get more done. I mean, that is insane. (laughs) So to me, if you're frenetic and you're out of balance, you're going to be reaching for the wrong foods and you're probably eating more because you're, you're anxious. It all comes down to anxiety. So if you do kind of a holistic whole approach to where you're getting the energy right in your environment, you're taking care of yourself and you're slowing down and getting rid of what no longer serves you, Um, starting to eat right, you know, it can at first seem very overwhelming, but there's like this pinnacle peak where you hit and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm happy. I feel Hmm. good. I'm getting eight hours of sleep, which I don't, seriously, I don't know how anybody survives on five hours of sleep. I would be brain dead. (laughs) (laughs) I feel exactly the same. (laughs) I'm an energy worker. Like there is no way in hell you want me showing up to your property to clear it and to be a powerful conduit on five hours. I won't even show up like <laughs> that's I'm out. But I think that, you know, it's, it's a whole approach. It's about 
getting your lifestyle correct, getting your eating habits correct, taking care of yourself. It's a whole approach. And then what I find, what I see in my own clients is that as the bullshit starts to fall away and they start to really see where it really matters, like the perspective starts to take hold, then they realize that they were striving and struggling and, and pushing and pulling and adding all of these things in their life, really because it came down to anxiety. They were anxious and they were frenetic. And when they really started to slow down and they eliminated the things that weren't serving them, they started to feel better. And it's like, then they are able to take a step back and recognize, oh, I don't need the Cheetos. I was just anxious and stressed out or angry. And, and I was doing it to cope. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. So I think at first it can seem really overwhelming and it can seem really scary to give up your um, crutches, so to speak. But I think when you start to, it, it does take some time and there is going to be some pain. It's going to be uncomfortable and that's where some people fail. But if you can push through that and come out on the other side, you're going to look back and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've you know been putting up with that for 20 years. I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something else that that I'm in touch with right now too, which is maybe even before any changes happen, is being present with food before you consume it. You know, just you know, we're kind of touching on. There's a lot of anxiousness. There's a lot. There's a lot of fast-paced movement, and there's so many people who don't sit down and have a proper breakfast or a proper lunch, and they're doing a million things. And I'm totally guilty of that sometimes. Recognizing that the breath is the first medicine and that most of us run around most of the time breathing involuntarily. You know, it's, we're, we're lucky. It's not something we have to think about or prioritize in our day. And yet, because we don't have to think about it, we're, most of us are really shallow breathers. And the breath is the thing that helps us to get us into the body the fastest and to really listen and to feel what it's like to be in this body. So I find a really great practice for people who kind of live fast-paced lives or are not making a strong connection to their food, taking three deep breaths before eating a meal, before eating a snack, and even having a moment to say, this is what I'm about to put in my body. And for some people, that practice helps them access like, yeah, maybe this this Cheetos is not the best thing for me right now. Maybe I'll go and grab a piece of fruit. So those three breaths, I feel like they're priceless. And they also give us an opportunity to not only get into our body, but to just have some awareness of where did this food come from? Who helped bring this food to my table or to my desk or you know, into the palm of my hand in this moment? And doing all that we can to relax our nervous systems before we consume food. Because if we are stressed, if we are in an excitatory state in the nervous system, we're not going to digest that food well. So it's great. I mean, that's a really simple place to start. So I'm going to stick with that. Three breaths before you eat. <laughs> well, and I think that's great because I agree. I think shallow sips of air is pretty much, you know, America. That's what everybody's living on. And, and a lot yeah. of people don't go to yoga, so they're not learning uh, pranayama breathing and, and they're not learning. Um, I talk a lot about uh, the importance of consumption of food and uh, how the entire process is all energy. So when you're at the store, the energy that you're putting into what you're buying and why you're buying it and 
uh, chopping, prepping, you know, getting the meal ready. You know, if you're in a frenetic state or you're angry or, you know, you're anxious, you're driving that energy into your food. And then, like you said, if you're not taking the time to sit down, you've driven all this horrible energy into the food and now you're consuming it and it spreads throughout your family. Everything is energy. So, you know, I think breath work is fantastic. Prayer, mantra, whatever you want to do. I typically chant as I'm cooking and prepping and chopping and, you know, I, I pray over my food because, you know, I think that's beautiful to say, where did this food come from? How many hands have touched the the items that you're about to consume? What was their energy? You know, how mm -hmm. long did it take for that avocado? You know, is it from Mexico? Like how long did your item take to get to your hands? And, and what has happened to that avocado before you're consuming it? So show a heart of gratitude and, and you know, not only show gratitude from the workers and everybody that's touched it, but the land that that item came from. We're going to assume that they're not Cheetos. Let's 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 hope that they're <laughs> eating vegetables. Yeah. You know, and the 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 earth that has touched that item and what has gone into it. You know, showing gratitude for the whole process because it's an entire energy process, um, and mm -hmm. showing gratitude for every single the sun, the earth, the plant itself, the water, like everything that's touched it, the entire process should be celebrated. That to yeah. me is a good meal. <laughs> you know, rather than I'm going to eat a burrito so I can slam this down and type with the other hand. I mean, I just want to <laughs> puke when I heard that. <laughs> so real quick, uh, I spoke about this just a little bit at the top of the show, but I, one of the things that I noticed in, in doing some research for you is that you combine plants and astrology. And I'm really curious about this. I'd love to know more about this and how you got into this. Yeah. So I, I just to, to name this quick, I don't consider myself an astrologer. I got into astrology mostly because of my interest and my passion for alchemy and the alchemical preparations that were used in um, plant medicine making. So my research began probably, let's say, eight, eight years ago, eight to nine years ago. And it's a much longer story, but basically I was sitting in a rosemary bush in Austin, Texas, I and I... <laughs> <laughs> I started seeing symbols and particularly triangulation symbols and um, seeing words that I didn't recognize. And so as I began to research that, I, I quickly came to find um, yeah, internal alchemy and alchemical relationships that connect the plants and the planets and how when we look through that practice, um, the alchemical practice, the theory and the basically the, the the application of alchemy. So for those of you who are not familiar with that concept, I'll basically just quickly define alchemy as the ancient practice of science and ritual and how it applies to life, how it applies to medicine making. And so basically the, the foundation of alchemy is a triangle and the three points of the triangle are chemistry, which we now know as um, as chemistry, sort of the process and the understanding of, of the chemical makeup of plants. We have astrology, which of course is the study of the stars and their impact on us. And then the third is a word that's very uncommon these days, which is theurgy, which is the practice of ritual. And so mostly you, see, you find that in religion. 
So when those three things are combined, this was when I really started to to deepen my connection to the stars, to the planets, to the luminaries, the sun and the moon, and see that we did not see the plants and the planets as separate. We saw them as mirror reflections of each other, um, sort of informing each other. And if we think about plants, they depend on the luminaries, both the stars, the sun and the moon, to feed them. They are transforming the sunlight into the sugars that feed the plant, which then feed us. And so if you look at that relationship, they, are, um, they feed each other. So that was sort of the beginning of my, of my quest. And then a dear friend of mine who is an astrologer, I do a, a podcast with him occasionally called Plants and Planets, where we'll actually talk about a particular astrological event or a particular planet and pair it with a, a plant and explore the relationship between the two of them. So I'm really passionate about bringing things that are considered esoteric, that are considered woo-woo, and bringing them down to earth to get people to understand that the, the sort of the new age movement wasn't new at all. It was just taking really old concepts and spiritual practices and reminding people that they exist. So that's a big part of my work is getting people to understand that there is a grounded approach to working with the esoteric and the woo. <laughs> well, and it's not esoteric and it's not woo. It's only, I feel like the, the shift really occurred after the industrial revolution. This is how we always lived. This is how we survived for thousands of years. Like feng shui is over 5,000 years old. And it's a lot of it is very much common sense. And it's all based on survival and making sure that we, we get the best chi to survive at an optimal level. And it cracks me up when people are like, oh, that's so weird. That's so woo. And it's like, it's not though. It's only been that you've been conditioned, you know, by our westernized system because you go to any other country and it's like, it's everyday practice. You go to India, you go to mm-hmm. Tibet. These are everyday, you go to China. It's like big corporations don't even begin housing. Anybody who owns a house, they don't even begin to build or move in without a feng shui practitioner. It's a part of everyday life. Herbalism, mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, everyday life. Like, it's really the Western world that is just like, well, I'm not sure about that. That sounds weird. Mm-hmm. It's like, where did, where did this come from? Like, it, it blows my mind that we've been so conditioned to think that the only way is the allopathic way. Like, that's literally how we've been conditioned. And it's fascinating to me because I was just watching a documentary maybe six months ago, and it was talking about how the shift really started occurring at the turn of the century when Rockefeller was the one that got involved in medicine and they were trying to push the herbalism and the so-called witches out. And they realized that if they could uh, modernize medicine, they could make it profitable. And Rockefeller was <laughs> like, well, if we could make it profitable, then we've got to highlight the doctors and, and basically, you know, market that the, we, we've got to push the uh, allopathic way. Because then what we could do is we could push prescriptions and we can make money on that. And Mm -hmm. so that's when a big witch hunt started occurring and they started basically debunking all the natural ways because those weren't profitable and they couldn't trademark them. Mm -hmm. So medicine and prescriptions, they could trademark. So I found that fascinating that 
now a lot of people are starting to question that and they're starting to go, but what if there's more? And I love that. I feel like that's kind of an intuition calling, you know, like bite the tree, like let's see if there's more here and let's see if there's a better way. So yeah, I think that. And it's, it's acknowledging, I think what I, in what I was saying around um, bringing, bringing the things that seem so far-fetched or so, unfamiliar to the Western mind um, in, in the way that you're looking at it too, is that we are, we have rewarded um, intellectualizing the world. We have rewarded the scholarly mind. Um, and so trying to utilize the language that people can hear to get them to start to open up and, and basically believe in magic again, because it is, it's, it's magic. It is the, the magic of nature, the things that seamlessly, weave everything together, recognizing that everything is connected and the very, the very nominalistic approach that we've had in, in our culture of separating things and putting them into little boxes that we can label and then we think we understand things. That's the allopathic approach. We forget that it's all part of the same matrix and that it can't just be put in a box and understood. And how do you not fall in love with the, the idea of magic? I mean, you touch yeah. it and it's like, I just had this happen the other day. I, uh, I'm also a real estate agent and I got a piece of mail the other day from my old brokerage and I literally, I was looking at it and looking at the broker's name and I'm like, he's a bonehead. I can't believe it took him this long to get me my paperwork. He's a bonehead. Not four hours later, I run into him. I haven't seen him in six months. Like <laughs> it was so weird that I ran into him and he was the one that saw me and I was like, well, this is weird. And I actually said that out loud, like, wow, this is really weird. I was literally just looking at a piece of paper with your name on it. And then not eight hours later, a lady that I had never met before started chatting me up at the grocery store. And she asked me if I knew this guy. And I was like, oh my, and it was the broker. And I was like, oh my God, this is so weird, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that synchronicity where someone like me, I'm like, okay, this means something like this means something I I've got to, you know, I've got to, there's something going on here that, you know, this keeps popping up. And so I think what's so great about that is that that to me was very magical. It was the universe showing me that, you know, because I had put this person in my thoughts, he manifested. Mm -hmm. So to me, like when you do, uh, holistic approaches to health and you get a, a major change, a major transformation, you start feeling really well, you notice that food tastes good, that you feel better. Like to me, that is magic because then you become a better energy system and, and you perform at a, a more optimal level for you. That's magic. Yeah, exactly. And when we, and when we tune in to listen more, we start to honor the language of our bodies and the, some people call it the intuition, you know, there are lots of different names for it, but just that inner voice that guides us. And that, that voice can really help us in the grocery store. <laughs> <We're listening. laughs> just avoid that whole middle section and the then middle judge. section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just stay in the produce aisle. That's what I always say. And if you eat meat, I guess you could go to the the, what do they call the back part? Like the meat department, you can go there, but yeah, the, the middle section where the crackers and the cookies and, you know, all the processed foods, you, you gotta be, and the sugar, there's a lot of sugar in there too. But, mm -hmm. um, 
I think that, I guess my question, my final question will be, if you could leave the audience with one thing today, what would you hope that they take away from this? Mm. Huh, that's a good question. Let's see. I think the first thing that pops into my mind is if you could leave with anything after listening to this, that it, we live in a very overwhelming, stimulating, highly stimulating culture right now. And there is so much distraction and there is so much information that we can receive. And the thing that I would, that I would say is that even if you take three quiet conscious breaths a day with your eyes closed it starts somewhere it starts right there and that there when we close our eyes and most of us you know we do it involuntarily when we blink but most of us are doing it consciously when we surrender our bodies at night and go to sleep if we do it throughout the day it's a it's a reset we have a memory of when we close our eyes we're not distracted by all of the lights and the shiny things and the to-do lists that simply closing our eyes and listening, just tuning into the heartbeat, paying attention to the breath, noticing where there's tension or pain or discomfort or just pressure in the body. I would say just start there because there's so much information available in those moments when there is a regularity in a practice like that. That's so simple. That takes literally seconds. And I feel like that's, that to me feels accessible. It doesn't feel too overwhelming. And that even if you're at your desk on the computer holding a burrito in one hand, you can still close your eyes and take three breaths. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that too, because you mentioned a little bit ago about getting back into your body. And that is one of the best ways to tether yourself back into your body and to listen to the information that it's giving you that you're likely tuning out because you think you're too busy. So yeah. It's a great way to ground. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for saying yes to this and coming on to the show. I'm, I'm so glad that the audience gets to meet you and learn more about you. If they are interested in uh, connecting with you or learning more about you, where do they go? What do they do? <laughs> well, I have a website. It's called The Alchemy of Artemis. Uh, I also, you can find me on Facebook under the same name. I'm also on Instagram under the Alchemy of Artemis as well. Uh, there are all kinds of things on my website, everything from custom made jewelry to leather work to clothes to classes, uh, upcoming classes that I might be teaching around the country. Uh, I also have an online course that's available that's called Mirror and Metaphor. And it is a seven-week course that basically takes you through the seven days of the week, the seven planets that rule them, uh, plants and practices that help us connect to the plant world, to the natural world, to the celestial bodies, but in a more grounded way. So we talk a lot about uh, the metaphor that's offered in making those connections and how we can actually bring them tangibly into our everyday lives. So if that's something that piqued your interest, um, that that's available there uh, as well. And I do also have an Etsy, which is the Alchemy of Artemis as well. And there are all kinds of things on there, certain tinctures that are available occasionally on there as well. So there's lots of ways to find me, even though I try to hide most of the time. 
You and me both. The, the crazier the world gets, the more I like want to hunker down and just be in like yeah. hermit land. But unfortunately, I think we were put on this earth to help people. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I would love to just go buy a little house in the woods and, and be a potter for the rest of my life. But Girlfriend, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'm there. I'm getting there. As the older I get, I'm just like, I just want to like buy 300 acres and put it like a cabin right smack in the middle of it and just be left alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there with you. But, but I agree with you. There's a reason why, there's a reason why we can only hide so much. I do believe that there's a strong pull, um, yeah, to have a voice and to share it when it feels important. So I'm really grateful for the invitation to to meet and chat with you today and um, yeah, to, to be heard by all your listeners. And it was great. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Whew, wasn't that a great show? Oh, I'm telling you, finding the salt of the earth, people. Man, getting stuff done, which I love. Uh, don't forget, Mastering Feng Shui enrollment has been extended until Sunday. So you can go on over to the website, interiorvibes.com to learn more or to purchase. And also the real estate class is there just below that. Both are on the homepage, so I've made it super easy for you to find. If you like the show, be sure to head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and, I don't know, leave us a message. Tell us how awesome we are. We always love to hear from you. Oh, and don't forget, I also have a fantastic YouTube channel. It's really starting to pick up, which is awesome. It means people are, like, really starting to pay attention to feng shui, which I love. But you can just head on over to YouTube, Amanda Gates, Feng Shui, and you'll find our channel. All right, everyone. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm telling you, trust the vibe, because the energy never lies.